Welcome to the Purdue Basketball Podcast. I'm Elliot Bloom, joined by the voice of the Boilermakers, Larry Clisby. Head coach of the Boilermakers, Matt Painter, joins us today, episode 23 here on the podcast. Today we break down the World University Games trip, and before we get to that, we were just talking before I hit the record button, Larry, about your Cleveland Indians. So let's uh, let's visit this topic real quick and get this all out of your system. I know you've been walking around in a daze the last 10 days or so during this win streak. Well, it's been uh, really remarkable when you consider, when you really look at the numbers, and you look at the numbers and how incredibly dominant they've been. Not only have they won 22 games in a row, but how they've done it. And then, of course, last night as we're taping this show, you know, they come within one strike of having the streak end and then continue it. So getting sellout crowds, and like a lot of people say, well, you know, Unless you win the World Series, it doesn't mean anything. But I suggest that if you're doing something that's never happened before, when you consider Major League Baseball has been around for 150 years, it's kind of cool. So, yeah, I think they, what they've done is incredible. That that kind of piggybacks on something we've talked about before is is the premium people put on postseason play in any sport, whether sure. it's NCAA tournament, whether it's NFL playoffs, all that stuff. And it's almost like we've gotten to a point in our – sports society that just hit the fast forward button and get the postseason and you and when you do that you miss out on all the cool stuff that happens during the regular season and case in point what the indians are doing now they've hit more home runs than their opponents have scored scored runs, scored runs. Yeah. Yeah. the other thing the other <coughs> thing that's uh, remarkable and uh, matt had a chance to visit with this guy in the spring is uh, the incredible um publicity that terry francona has been getting lately he he's always been considered one of the best baseball managers there is uh, he proved that in Boston he's he's really improved you know uh, proved it in Cleveland but uh, he he is just a, a really fascinating guy and you just don't see anybody around that team that doesn't you know almost worship the guy I mean I mean they have such a tremendous team culture there right now and the whole organization does and you know Cleveland's not like the designated spot to go to for a lot of people and 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 all of a sudden now it's like yeah i want to play for that guy i i love playing for that guy and you met him yeah well i think you want to as a player and when you when you manage or you coach you you don't want to forget about how it feels or if you didn't you know you really want to dive into people that have because you don't ever want to lose that i think he has that as a former major league baseball player he's just a regular guy and, uh, you know, our friend Tom Hamilton, who's – it's been cool hearing the, <clears throat> you know, the highlights and the, the hit last night, and they put Hammy's, you know, voice behind it. So, like, watching ESPN, I'm getting ready to go to bed, and you hear Tom Hamilton, and Tom did a lot of our Big Ten games, and that's how we got to know him, and he's the one that set it up uh, for to go in there. But when you find guys like that, like Terry Francona, that, you know, is now on the streak, he's just trying to keep it – you know, in their rhythm and what they're doing. He's not trying to change anything. And then that's what you do as a coach. A lot of times people think it's a magic wand and you have your routine and you stay in your routine and you, you just move to the next game. And that's what you keep your focus on. And that's what um, is very important. You know, those guys are pros and so they get it, but it's hard. It's hard when you get on a magical streak like that to keep your focus. But in baseball, it's different. You change pitchers and things happen. That next guy's getting ready in those four, five, six days in between his starts. And so... Um, that was cool going in there and talking to him <clears throat> simply because, you know, I, we tried to leave after 10 minutes and he had to do some media stuff and he wouldn't let us leave. 
And uh, just like I want to hear from him, I also think I'm bugging him. And uh, he wants to hear from you because he, he is a college basketball fan. He's an Arizona grad. He has season tickets to Arizona games. So he, he watches us just like we watch them. And it was interesting as we were trying to find our way to his office and Tom was helping us and uh, kind of navigate through that. Four or five guys on the Indians, you know, stopped me and started talking. They, you know, they want to know about college basketball. They want to know what's going on. And just like I want to fire questions at them or I think I'm bothering them, they don't care. You know, I've walked into their combine and they're going <laughs> to they're gonna grill me on what's going on. But, you know, Terry Francona had some great stories. Obviously, he managed Michael Jordan in, in AA and but he had some great basketball stories, and that's what he was kind of picking at me about was the Big Ten, Coach Knight, Coach Katie, and, you know, just intrigued about some of those legendary guys and a lot of the different things that, you know, that you do, just like they prepare. They, they're such a long – it seems like three years ago I did that, and that was this year in spring training. Well, think, well, think about it, finally saying something about it. They've gone in, in that sport, and like Matt just said, you, all you need is one good pitcher on, on one night is going to stop any team. I mean, it just does could have done it last night and uh but it's amazing that you know they've gone three weeks they got more than three weeks without losing yeah. major league baseball i mean that's that's yeah. nuts well, and, yeah. I, and i'm big into the the baseball piece of it and so the other day i was at a i was at a high school in cincinnati and uh <clears throat> one of the dads there and the kids are junior or senior so you're able to talk to him um has been doing tv for the toronto blue jays for 25 years played in the Major leagues, Pat Tabler, who played for the Cleveland yeah, Indians, and Pat was there, and I didn't know him. Introduced myself, and we just started talking, and it was just interesting to hear, you know, the stories and just you know talking about the preparation and all the, you know, baseball. There was a lot of downtime in baseball, and so you know you you have guys that think the game, no numbers, and things of that nature. So it was just great, just kind of sitting there and and talking to him about his experiences, and and I started firing questions at him, and he played with George Brett in Kansas City, and he just was like. You know, George Brett used to come to him and just look at him in the clubhouse and get a serious look on his face. Let's just play harder than anybody out there in the field today. And he said, you know, when you see someone as great as George Brett and he's sitting there trying to fire me up to play as hard as you possibly can, it just kind of shows you why guys are great. And and just any time you go through that. He was an all-star one year with the Indians. Then he ended up winning um, a World Series um, with the Toronto Blue Jays in the early 90s. Then he retired, and he's been with them for 25 years. But it was pretty cool, me just kind of firing some questions at him, you know, about some of the guys in baseball through the years and just what he thought of them. I, uh, I'll end this by saying that, uh, and I always tell this story, is about my, is my association with the great Thurman Munson at Kent State. And I used to always, when we used to go to practice, we used to, the baseball field, and I was just there uh, last month, and it's baseball field, same place. It doesn't look the same, but it's the same place. And we used to have to walk out from our locker room out there, and you had to go through this expansive area of grass before you got to the outfield fence. And, and I'd be walking with a couple of teammates, and we'd just be walking along, and we hear this thud just going off these mats that were on the left field wall. And we'd get up there, and it was Thurman Munson, by himself with a pitching machine, hitting, you know, probably for two hours. He's just crushing everything, then goes out and picks up the balls, puts them all around the pitcher mound, then feeds them in there, runs down there, and starts hitting again. And It never occurred to any of us, seriously. I wonder why Thurman's better than we are, you know? (laughs) Right? Right. And and every one of those guys at that level. No question. No, and he he was talking. It was interesting. I told Pat. I said, "Hey, my favorite player. This is a little bit off the beaten path." I said, "Is Eddie Murray?" 
you know, who played for the Indians also. One time, always with longtime Baltimore Oriole. And when Pittsburgh beat Baltimore in 79, everybody rooted for Pittsburgh, and I just kind of adopted it. I liked the way switch hit and power hitter. But anyways, Eddie Murray's my favorite player, so I just always, anytime I get a chance to be around a major leaguer, I fire that and say, hey, you got, do, do you know Eddie Murray? He goes, oh, yeah, I was with Eddie Murray. And when we were in Cleveland, he was the batting coach then. And he says, great guy, super guy. He goes, obviously an unbelievable player. And he goes, he goes, I started to have a little bit of success. And then they also said, you know, you even have more success, Pat, you know, if you started hitting more home runs. He goes, why brilliantly, like, you know, equated that with I need a bigger bat, you know, and, and I need and I need Eddie Murray's bat. It seems to work for him. He goes, but obviously I'm not Eddie Murray. He goes, go. So in one series I used Eddie's bat, and it was like a redwood tree. And he just said, he goes, I struck out nine times. <laughs> he said after after that series, I thought, you know what, just go back to your own bat, which, which was kind of helping you, you know, be a good hitter. Maybe not the greatest power hitter, but he was a good hitter. Yes, he a, was. And that's a pretty satisfying story when you uh, when you like a guy like that, and then you, every story you get confirms that he's a good guy. Right. That's no the, question. That's awesome. And that's like Terry Francona kind of comes full circle for us. Is that you know. Here he was telling me, hey, hold on here. I'm going to go do this media thing. I want to come back and, you know, I want to talk. I'm going to talk college basketball. And so we sat in there for 30 to 40 minutes and just rapped, just a regular guy. And I think that's the best thing that you can get said about you if you're a player, you're a coach, you've been in it, you've had some success, whatever, that he's just a regular guy. And, and then, you know, you want to root for somebody like that. Now, last, uh, last quick story before we move on to the World University Games. Because your best baseball story is when you were on the mound – and someone took you over the outfield fence with one arm. Is that accurate? on July fourth in the town that uh, Matt coached in, in Washington, <laughs> Pennsylvania? In a, uh, it was an all-star weekend. I was with a Colt Lake team from Warren, Ohio. We went over there to play, and uh, first time the guy came up, my catcher came out, Donnie Fitch. Now this Never- guy has, he's missing his left arm. I don't know which one. He's okay. batting right-handed, so yeah. It had okay, to be so his. he's missing his left arm, and he gets into the box. And you're on the mound. First time, first inning. I mean, I should have known since he was batting like fourth or fifth that he was probably pretty good. Never occurred to me, but the first time I met him, it might have been the second inning. I don't know, but I my catcher came out, and he said, forget the curveball since you don't have one. Just, just throw him heat, and you know you can see, obviously, that – this should be easy, which it was. So I, I give him like four or five straight balls, and he strikes out and sits down. Next time he's up with two guys on, so Donnie just winks at me, and I, he knows that once again I got to rely on the straight ball. I throw him a straight ball, and, I mean, I still haven't found it. I mean, this thing this thing goes airborne towards left field. And it's I mean, it's not only out of the – it's not over the fence. It's out of the park. Uh, and then he looks at me, and he said, man – said, Larry, only you, dude. And so they're trotting around the base. It was good for three runs. So one arm guy, yeah, did hit a three-run homer off him. Uh, that's a great story. We, we bring that up on the road every time Washington, Pennsylvania comes up. The, uh, <laughs> the old one-armed home run comes up from – Yeah, it was right place. next door to where they – it was right next door to the park, the uh, Pointing League World Series park. Williamsport. They had, yeah. yeah. Well, not Williamsport, but uh, Washington, Pennsylvania oh, okay. was the Pony League World Series. Like – you know, Lafayette is a cold world, sir. Okay, so good baseball talk there. Now on to the World University Games recap. Um, just to kind of summarize um, for those listening that were maybe a little out of touch uh, with uh, what our trip entailed. Uh, first of all, long trip, August uh, 13th to the 30th. 
Um, and then full disclosure, Larry did not go on the uh, on the trip, so I'm sure you'll be asking us some questions uh, um, of, out of curiosity on that. But um, first, let's touch base before we departed. Um, extra practices throughout the summer, and then kind of culminated with a week of practices, and then two exhibition games against Team Canada. They came down and actually spent the week here in Lafayette, trained in our facilities, used our practice court, our weight room, things of that nature. Um, and we got to know those guys a little bit. Good guys and a really good team. Um, their coach has been uh, doing it for uh, quite a while, coaches in British Columbia. And uh, I think that was his fifth World University Games that he uh, was the head coach of the Canadian team. But talk a little bit about, just first of all, coach the, the, the extra practices and then that culminating in that week in those two exhibition games against Canada one of them we played down at Carmel High School which was a great scene sold out crowd um, and then the second game on that Saturday at Lafayette Jeff you know I thought <clears throat> the most important thing for us uh, I felt like on the trip um, in general just kind of looking at it as you're planning was to, to make sure that um, you know, March Madness and uh, trying to do well in the NCAA tournament and playing well at the end of your conference season is the most important thing in how you get judged as a team. And uh, sometimes when you get into something like this, and the rules are different when you go on a regular overseas trip that you can go once every four years, you get 10 practices. In this case, you are representing your country, so it's unlimited. <clears throat> so we could have started in the spring, right? As school was out, and we could have practiced every day for eight hours. That would have been perfectly legal. We didn't start our practices at the start of summer school. Um, and the reason behind that is your guys are going to work out on their own anyways. You know, you just didn't want to wear them out. You didn't want to go and do everything in your power to win those games and then all of a sudden hit in the middle of January and hit a wall. Um, and so for us, I think keeping that um, very loose and, and very important that, you know, we want to peak at the right time in late February, in, in middle of March, and then hopefully continue that into the, the beginning of uh, April. That's the ultimate goal. So that was that was the backbone of things to keep that in, in uh, perspective as a coaching staff. And you know, we practice for ten weeks. Um, we never wow. we never practice fewer than two days. We never practice more than three days. So that was going in and around our camps. That was going in and around recruiting in July. Um, obviously, Elliot talked about when we departed on August thirteenth. We played a couple exhibition games on August eleventh and twelfth thought the timing of that was great and really to give us the level of competition because Canada was pretty good. Obviously, they weren't on their home turf, and that definitely gives us an advantage. But I didn't think we played as hard as we needed to play in those games. I think sometimes it's kind of an eye-opener, like, hey, these guys are you know pretty good players. And it, it really helped us kind of morph into um, the actual games and, and head into Taiwan. Then I asked our guys after we won our second game, which we were very fortunate to win in Lafayette. Jeff, I said, if we were playing Michigan State today, would you have played a little bit harder? And I think all the antennas went up, and they, they understood that. You know, we're, you're kind of playing a summer league game here against a really good team. This, these aren't summer league games. These count, and we're trying to win a gold medal. And, and so that was a really good um, lesson for us to learn. And uh, we have some older guys that have been through it, and they, you know, they understood that. So the, the practices, I thought, were really good. Um, I thought we grew as a team. I think anytime you lose a great player um, that we did in Caleb Swanigan, <clears throat> you know, you have to have a new identity as a team. Even though you have six out of your top seven back, um, you have some guys that you feel has made improvements, you still have to have a new identity, but you can't just declare a new identity. You know, you have to grow and, and, and really work into that new identity. And we're still in that process, just like every other team in the country. And But I think we're a little bit closer than a lot of other people with uh, four seniors. 
um, who are going to play a lot for us, and then the experiences we have in these games. So um, it was an unbelievable experience. Taiwan was great. Um, the practices was good. We I thought we had a real good feel for what we were doing um, after you know already experienced it six years ago in China, and um, we just came up a little bit short. You know, we just came up a little bit short in terms of we shot the ball really really well, and in our last game we didn't. And then I thought we did a good job of rebounding, and in the last in the second half we obviously didn't do that either. So, but it also raises a little bit of an antenna sometimes something that's a strength for you um, isn't always going to be a strength in each game and you know you got to be able to offset that and compensate and play better in other areas and uh, we fell a little bit short there but it's also like i said earlier um, something that could motivate our guys so it doesn't happen again well looking at the uh, the start of the trip we leave out on, the, on august 13th and the time difference i think became evident to everybody especially the fans back here when you go to watch a game and it's on at three in the morning or you know five in the morning or things of that nature uh, a 12-hour time difference so we departed out of Chicago on the 13th and left technically on the 14th at 12:30 a.m. really yeah. missed the entire day of the 14th everybody make the flight every <laughs> <laughs> yeah we that, didn't we didn't take our radio <laughs> that is a uh, reference to our trip uh, back in 2012 to Italy when Larry missed the flight to Rome from Chicago, <laughs> an all-time great travel story that we'll get into at some point. Um, but straight from uh, Chicago, went right into Taipei, a uh, 14-hour flight, and uh, arrived uh, in the wee hours of the morning, and uh, basically went right to the Athletes' Village, which was basically a, a brand new, uh, newly constructed high-rise dorms, for lack of a better term. Um, there was perimeter fencing set up around the entire compound. There was uh, check, security checkpoints. Everybody had an ID badge that you scanned in and out of the village. Um, had a full-service dining court, multiple uh, laundry facilities. We were there the entire time. Um, and the rooms were, they were very dorm-like. They were standard bed, table, chairs, and that's about, <laughs> that's about it. So uh, a, lot of, a lot of cards were being played uh, throughout the day to pass some time. But... Uh, the one thing that struck me about the village was the enormity of it. The size was, and you got to think too. There's ten thousand athletes staying in this village. Yeah, ten thousand. Which is, you know, after after the Olympic Games, this is the second largest games in the world, and uh, the city of Taipei, I don't think, could have been any better in terms of their hospitality, their organization, and what they did. Uh, just to give you an idea, I mean, they are busing teams to every practice competition. And there's 22 sports in this, in these games. So they had a parking lot that was probably maybe half the size or a quarter of the size uh, of the parking lot north of Ross Aid Stadium. And it all it did was have buses come in and out. And they had these corrals that you would find the basketball corral, then go wait, and then they would flag your bus down. It would come pick you up, and away you'd go. And that went on. 12 hours a day. I mean, it's just constantly picking up teams, taking them to practices and, and competitions. And so they had to be extremely organized. Uh, the amount of police they had, whether it was escorting you, and, and we had escorts everywhere. So practice or games, you're getting a police escort. So not only do you have a, a cop on your bus, you had one that was escorting you to the venue. Then when you got to the venue, there was multiple security people there. So uh, a pretty impressive effort from Taipei. And I know Coach, when you went to uh, China, and I talked with Rob Home a little bit about his experience, it sounds like we had it pretty good over there compared to some of the other games. 
that they've had. Yeah, I, <clears throat> the food was definitely better. Um, the living arrangements was definitely better. And uh, just the overall organization. They had so many volunteers at this game. I mean, whether you were walking um, to eat breakfast or whether you were leaving to go to a practice, you know, everywhere you turned, there was somebody wanting to help you with a smile on their face. And um, you know, that that was pretty special. That, that whole, you know, city kind of really came together to make it a great experience for everybody. And we got we got a chance to get out the first few days. Uh, you know, one of the challenges when you travel internationally is trying to acclimate the guys um, to the time difference. And so we were trying to do things throughout the day to keep them on their feet and going so that they wouldn't go back to their room and sleep for three or four hours in the middle of the day and throw their, their sleep cycle off. So uh, first couple of days, we went out to a seaside town, walked around an open-air market. We did a night market one night, which is pretty popular over there. Um, did some things that uh, we went to some temples um, th- uh, during one of the days. Went to the Grand Hotel, which is this enormous uh, kind of iconic hotel that a lot of world leaders have stayed at throughout the throughout history so did some things to kind of get out and about before we got to the basketball part I thought it laid out pretty well that we got all that kind of taken care of and then we got into our more of our serious basketball stuff with an exhibition game against Norway and and that kind of led into our pool play games and it really would have been cool if it wasn't 105 degrees (laughs) (laughs) so when you go and you make a walk like oh yeah the open air market that'll be cool and we'll walk up and see this temple and after like five minutes you're just sweat so and so you got you know you look up you think you're sweating and you look over and you see Isaac and (laughs) (laughs) so you know you don't feel as bad but no it was it was a great experience and just trying to get some practices there just we never went more than an hour why we were there in practices. I think we had three practices. Um, Come on. Now, they, well, they limit you. They, they give you an hour court time. Hour court time is all you get. So How do you we, handle we that? Didn't, uh, we did not. We had two days <laughs> like off. A, like we, a champ. <laughs> <laughs> we, we had two days off um, in between games. You know, we, we played eight total games, so ten days uh, with those eight games. And so we had those two days off. We gave them totally off. We didn't do anything. We didn't have any shoot arounds and we could have the day of game so we just really just got focused and um, the coaches would go out and scout and try to give them some tendencies who's the shooter who's not a shooter um, as you went on you, you found the, the better teams you kind of follow those teams obviously more um, as you prepared to kind of see who you possibly could play um, in the quarterfinal game the semifinal game and then obviously in the gold medal game um, so we were you know well prepared for that but we didn't we would just draw things up on the board before the game and talk about it and kind of go through it. And we prepared. We knew a handful of actions that a lot of international teams play, and so we prepared in our practices you know, at Purdue um, for a lot of those. And so we were, we were prepared for that. But it was great. It was just a great experience for everybody. Um, obviously, our older guys um, have played a lot of college basketball, and they played in Spain the, you know, the previous summer. And so it was great for them um, to play. We obviously shot the ball well. And uh, then our young guys, you know, our young guys just getting some experiences and being able to play. Um, the one thing you want to do with your younger players is you want them to play with your older players because they're going to look better. You're going to pl- you're going to look better being with experienced people that understand what's going on. And then at the end, when you're trying to get minutes, you want to get all your younger guys minutes, but then they're playing together. And so, as a coach, I think you understand that sometimes as a fan, you don't. Now they don't look as good because they don't have experienced people around them. They're all inexperienced. 
and uh, sometimes there's struggles there. But if you did play two inexperienced guys with three experienced guys, you say, oh, they look better. Yeah, but then you're not getting minutes for the other two guys that are that haven't played as much. So you, as a coach, you just try to get them as many minutes as many experiences, and then hopefully that'll help them progress and improve and get ready for the real season. I, I talked with somebody yesterday about that, and they said uh, they they turned on one of the games, and he said. I knew the names, but I didn't know the faces with the names. He said, you had five guys out there. I was like, I don't know any of these guys. <laughs> I mean, he knew their names when the announcers would say them. He'd say, oh, okay, that's, you know, Aaron Wheeler. Okay, that's, you know, no Joe Eastern. But he didn't know. He couldn't by sight just look at him and know who they were. So it was just kind of a surreal feeling to think like, God, I thought I knew this team. And then I turned the, the this, you know, this game on and I don't know anybody, anybody on the floor. So I never got a game with the American announcers, though. I got Chinese announcers. And there was some, there was an American, a couple Americans calling one version of it, but it was hard to find the, the streams over there. I'll tell you the one thing that was was pretty cool is the tower we stayed in was all the USA teams, and then there was a few Canadian teams in our tower. Um, but all the American teams over there, obviously we were men's basketball. The Maryland women's team was women's basketball. Iowa was the baseball team. Uh, Houston was the track and field team. It was cool to get to know some of those teams and their coaches and stuff you saw them everywhere and then our guys had a couple opportunities to go watch those teams compete they went and watched the women's volleyball team play um that was a kind of an all-star team because most of the volleyball teams are in season right now um the where they went and watched the maryland women's team play uh one of their one of their <clears> games so it was cool how the, the athletes would pull for each other explain something to me though is i had and I never did get this concept. I, can, I continue to hear that X number of teams were playing professional players, and yet it's called World University Games. I don't understand. Well, I've, we, we were told that some teams have a tendency to sign up a couple guys in some online cl- classes, so then they technically become students. Yeah, you just oh. have technically and, you uh, just have to be in a class. Oh, yeah. yeah. So like we had when it's we like one and done in a different way. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So so we uh, we spent. And I should I should really give credit to Deb Hayworth in our office because she helped me organize all this paperwork throughout the summer. We had to submit proof that our guys were in classes here at Purdue. So uh, she helped pull all that together. You submit it to the committee over there, along with uh, they do background checks on people and different things like that, along with copies of your passports and those kind of things to officially get you registered. And then when you arrive, you go through another uh, registration process that basically verifies everybody. But there are some teams, you know, some of these teams we played, they're grown men out there that, you know, they've had a lot of basketball under their belt. But when you look at it, that's great for us. Yeah, that's what you want. You want that experience. You know, kind of back to Elliot with the other teams and, you know, Iowa baseball being there and Maryland's women's basketball. And, you know, Houston was there in their track team, and one of their coaches was Carl Lewis. So he stayed in Iowa. Wow. It was really cool. So every morning, like, you know, he's sitting down there waiting. But just to see, you know, now he's helping out other athletes. He's helping those guys and, you know, obviously coaching there at Houston. And um, But then you go to Wikipedia and you read – while you're sitting there, you read everything that he's accomplished. Oh, and it's like, you know, how can any of those guys ever talk back to him if he said, if he said something? <laughs> it's like, man, you don't know what you're talking about. You're like, you know, how could you ever, you know, that would be, that'd just be unbelievably cool to be a track athlete and get coached by, you know, maybe the, you know, one of the greatest ever, if not the greatest in terms of when you see how many medals he's he's gotten um, in that. So that was very, very surreal. One of the few to get golds in four different games and it was really cool he he was so approachable 
And two things about that Houston track team. One was he was – I've never seen a guy take more photos with someone over a whatever 10, 20-day stretch. I mean, nonstop people coming up and getting photos. And in the during the opening ceremonies, all these other track athletes from other nations – were coming up and approaching him. And there's a language barrier oftentimes with these other athletes. And they would kind of hold their phone up, and he would get he would get the hint right away. Oh, get in here. Come on. Have a smile on his face every time. I mean, just a really gracious person. Um, it was really, really cool to, to talk to a few times. The other thing that struck us was Hurricane Harvey's hitting Houston while they were over there. And we were reading kind of reports that it was coming in, and then you started to see some of the devastation and our hearts went out to the Houston kids because they got they had to stay in country over there four or five extra days. Yeah, <clears throat> and so they kind of had a decision to make: do we get home and try to stay somewhere else, or do we? And I, I I don't ever I never found out what the reason was that they decided to stay in Taipei, but they did, and they were going to be moving out of the village the day we were going to the airport to fly home on the thirtieth. They were moving out of the village to just go across town and stay in a hotel. Stay at the hotel, yeah. So, and you thought about what we kind of take for granted when we travel. We come back and we go out. We normally park out by the soccer field on a road trip. We go out there and our cars are there. We get in and go. Their cars were under 15 feet of water. And just what a sickening feeling that would be to be halfway around the world and not know what your apartment or your dorm or whatever is, you know or your home yeah. for the and, coaches. And, and every athlete there, I don't care who you are. And I thought our guys were great that we didn't have anybody like, you know, that were, was dragging and just, man, I want out of here. And, you know, that kind of attitude, you know, just appreciate what you have, appreciate the opportunity. And, hey, we're going to be here for 17 to 18 days. But with that being said, you do have August 30th, you know, marked off on your calendar. <laughs> you know, when that comes around, I don't care who you are, if you've coached in it 10 years, or you, you're you ready to roll. You're yeah. ready to go home and get in your own bed. And these guys got to wait four more days. Mm. And so, it, it was, you know, everybody felt for them and uh, what they had to go um, through at the end of the trip. Yeah, there's I, – I can't think of – the only time I've ever thought, eh, I'm ready to get home. I, the only time I've never thought that I think it was when we were in Maui one time. I thought I might be able to stay out here well, for a long time. That's, that's just being totally self-centered. <laughs> no question. <laughs> There's very few times that we should be selfish in life, and this is one of them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I always say that to recruits. I always get one of my standard lines. There's very few times you should be selfish in life, and this is one of them. Do what's best for you right now. And Elliot, Elliot took that and wanted to stay yeah. in Maui for I an extra to week. I stay in Maui. His wife would have missed work. I mean, kids wouldn't have been in school, but exactly. Elliot was fine at Maui. All I to do is hit Powerball. We can make that dream a yep. reality. As long as the Powerball comes in, everything works. Powerball is a wonderful, wonderful term. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, back to uh, – so pool play starts. You play five games uh, in pool play. Um, top two teams made it in advanced. Um, thought we had a pretty good draw, all things considered. Yeah. There were a couple couple pools that were pretty loaded. Uh, yeah, they, there was another uh, pool that was pretty watered down. Ours was kind of in the middle. Yeah, it was one of those deals. You know, it's like the Indiana High School Basketball Association. They they draw the they draw for the pools, and so one pool is really really hard, and they should seed it just like the Indiana High School Basketball Association. They should seed it. You know, these guys, these high school kids in our state, play hard. 
all year and they get a good seed, then all of a sudden the, the first seed and the second seed plays on a Wednesday night right. for a sectional. It makes no sense. If they if they handled the NFL playoffs the way we do in our high school or the way they do Wouldn't in have any viewers. Oh my goodness, how many people would be mad and how much money would they lose? Oh yeah. Exactly. And so it's you know, it's one of those things where hopefully as time goes on the world university games needs to change. We definitely need to change within our state. Um, because it just it, it makes it right, it makes it fair, and so we we played the toughest team in our first game in Argentina, which was cool about that game. Um, they played extremely hard. Um, we got up against them about twenty two points, I think, and then um, we, we subbed a little bit. And as we subbed a little bit, man, they came fighting back and they made it a game, and we ended mm-hmm. up winning by thirteen. So that was another good lesson for us right there, um, and it was another good lesson for me. Um, in terms of subbing at that time against a particular team with some tough lineups in there. And we struggled a little bit, and I think we were down 10 and I mean, we were up 10 and a half. But it was a great game because they played really hard. And Argentina should have beat Lithuania in the quarterfinals. They had a freak play um, for Lithuania to win that game. But Argentina played really, really hard. And then their coach afterwards, we find out, Coach Mike Robinson. Um, you know, for a couple years over there. And he really, really liked Mike and had a great relationship. And so that kind of just shows you how small the world really is. That was pretty cool. And and then a couple times in the village, coaches would come up to you and talk basketball. And it's like the Kevin Bacon six degrees of separation. I mean, inevitably, there was some connection uh, to you or the Purdue program with a couple of those coaches over there. Right. And, and, you, and you talk to them and you say something or whatever, and they look at you like a fool. Like you're trying to explain yourself. They say, hey, man, we... We know who you guys are, Big Ten. You know, you know what you guys do. You guys have been a good team for a for a long, long time. And I think that's a one thing is they have a lot of respect. Whether I've been in New Zealand or I've been in China or we've been in Spain, Italy, just all the different trips, people will come up to you and they they appreciate the way your guys play and how hard they play. And um, sometimes in the society we live in, the culture we live in, you know, if you don't win at all, <clears throat> something's wrong with you. Well, it's competition, and people really respect the teams that play hard and compete. We uh, moved on then and, and had uh, four other games in pool play. Um, and uh, quite honestly, th- those games were not as close as the uh, the Argentina uh, game against Argentina. So uh, able to go 5-0, and and then – Go. We have a day off, and then we move on to uh, the medal round. And I don't, I don't know if I remember a better game. Um, even when you talk about Big Ten games and simply tournament games, you know the Iowa State game comes to mind of last year. Uh, you know our game at Maryland, things like that. But that game against Israel was as good a game as you're going to see. And they, that Israeli team played so hard yeah. uh, the entire time. Was just so impressed with what they did. Yeah, no, no question about it. You look at your <clears throat> big wins and like you know some games like you know you mentioned at Maryland and been able to come back against Notre Dame in the Crossroads Classic and that was such a a grueling game. It's a game at one point you think you're going to get blown out. You're down 18. You start the second half and you really get on a nice run. Whatever. Well, they had us down 10, 11 points beginning of the second half and uh, looked like you know we're going to push away and they had a couple opportunities and they didn't make shots. And then we really played well, and obviously Carson had a special half. And uh, but for, but then for us to go through what we did at Israel, and then like we worked a lot in the summer on situations. We played a lot on side out of bounds. We did some situational stuff. I've never been a guy, even though we did it against D'Angelo Russell once, and maybe one other time, is foul when we were down. Excuse me, when we were up three. But it's something we we work on a little bit, and we talk about a little bit, and everybody swears by it, even though. When you look at the, 
analytics, it's, it's, it's very even in college basketball. But we do foul, and we're up three. And uh, I think three seconds, the guy's going to get full court. He's going to get to a good shot if we don't foul. So we just got to be able to handle that. Um, but we decide to foul. Our guys do. And then he makes the first one, and then we miss the blockout. And uh, we don't stick with our blockout. We don't get a good hit right there, and they score a basket. So that's a tough. <clears throat> that's a tough deal when you supposedly are doing <laughs> the right thing from a coaching <laughs> standpoint. As you sit there as a coach, that's a, that's a tough one. But a lot of your guys like that. They they like fouling right there because they hear it. They hear it. You know when they watch games and they watch games. And why don't we foul? Why don't we foul? And when you do get stops and you don't foul. Um, and, and you're successful. Nobody says anything, but if a guy hits, sticks a tough three against you, you go, hey, why didn't you foul? Well, that's why you don't foul right there. Um, but there's pros and cons to both ways. So I'm not saying When not. somebody hits a shot and you don't foul, they say, well, you should have fouled. When they do what Israel did and miss the second free throw and put it in, they say, well, you were just unlucky. Right. That's, it's you know like what I mean? It's okay. And it's, it's like, it's no, okay. no, no. They're both luck. Like, luck's involved in both scenarios. No question. No, but, but we've talked. Uh, Coach and I, I know for sure, and others have talked about this for years. I mean, we, I always ask him, right? What, what, what's your thought process yeah. here and that regarding that? And he, he definitively over time says, yes, there's opportunities to use it, but most of the time, yeah. The two times it's come back to where you've gotten pushback on the radio um, when we have talked about it was my first year as a coach against Northwestern. Um, the kid from Jersey hit a three. Craig, uh, Craig Moore. Craig Moore hit a three. And we really felt they were going to. But there was a lot of time. There was, like I think, 14 seconds. I don't like doing it with that much time. And then in Denver, in the NCAA tournament, Little Rock, there was 18 seconds and they had to go full court. The thing that threw me there that I learned a lesson about was if you're down three and there's 18 seconds, what do you tell your team? you tell them to work it around for a good shot? No, you tell them to be aggressive. Everybody does what? They go get a quick two, or they get a, they get a quick three. But they also want if it doesn't work, you know, they want the clock to be anywhere from twelve to nine seconds. So now they have another crack at it. What <laughs> Little Rock did was they didn't go right away. They kind of tried to, and they went, and then the guy shoots a contorted. 27 footer with yep. his feet facing the sideline, yep. and PJ's right there on him, um, and, and then he, he makes that shot. And so I, I didn't feel bad. I felt bad that it happened, but in terms of the scenario, but the one thing that it did is that if you have you got to have players you can trust. Is that what it, now it's made me say in huddles a couple times for some odd reason with a lot of time, if they dribble around and they don't take it and it gets under six seven seconds, let's get them in foul. Now, that takes a player, you know, because the one thing that happens in the NBA a lot is those guys are so good, like James Harden, those guys are so good, is that now you don't run the risk being up three of doing it. You run the risk of losing the game because they're so good when you come to foul of yeah. getting into their shot, right. making it, making the free throw, now they're up one, or getting the three free throws and then getting the three points that way. So there's a lot of things that go into There's a lot of variables. I like fouling. When the ball's underneath the basket and the ball's on the side and it's five seconds or a lot. I think that is something that you stick with. Um, and they always say, like Elliot was talking about, about getting the, the rebound or whatever. They always say a lot of things got to happen right for them to score and then get that game into overtime. And I'm like, well, it just happened. Yeah. <laughs> but but I'll, I will say this about Israel's guards and their, and their players and how they played and we scouted them. Just a fabulous team. I mean, just a, just a really, really good basketball team. And the one thing that happens 
you know, you have to value possessions um, in basketball, period. But in international play, you have to go back at them. And that was, that's what I tried to get through the summer of don't worry about people scoring at times, even though that goes against how I'm wired. You have to go back, and at times you have to outscore good people. And that's simply what we did. We, we outscored them. Um, you know, Carson had a special night that night. The next night, um, Vince Edwards um, had 31 against Serbia. And uh, we kind of we got them to wave, you know, the flag against us. They they started in the second half, uh, working towards just trying to win the bronze medal the next day. Uh, but that was a tribute to our team. I thought our team played very hard back-to-back nights. Then in the last game, I thought Lithuania got the best of us in that second half. I thought they played really hard. They were great on the glass, and uh, they deserved to win that game. You mentioned uh, the Edwards, uh, Vince, and, and Carson. Uh, Car- uh, Vince leads us in scoring just under 20 points a game over there. Carson uh, just over 17 points a game. And uh, those two really had some some special plays, uh, special moments, uh, special games. But the one thing that we talked about a little bit yesterday was Vince now moves back to that four spot where he's going to really put some teams in a bind. Yeah. And, and you kind of saw it over there, but I think it's going to be uh, – probably a little bit more evident when we get back to playing here. Yeah, well, I think what's helped him is, is playing in both spots <clears throat> throughout his career. You know, he, you know, it brings out some strengths. It, you know, it shows, you know, whenever you have to go against quicker guys, you got to use your size. Whenever you got to go against guys that are bigger, now you got to use your quickness. You know, he's slowly, through the years, he's had that slow shot fake. And he's just kind of taken his time on his threes and got into rhythm. And it's um, – it really it really gets guys off. You know, they, they 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 think he's going for that slow three, and now he's got an angle and he's driving. And so he, you know, whether he was shooting threes or driving, you know, off of his shot fake, um, obviously getting him into the post, and that's something for us that we you know we probably haven't done enough for him is getting the ball in the post. He's pretty good in the post. He can pass the ball. You know, he can find his way in there if you want to double him. He's like a big guard. So trying to get in there, it's you know, sometimes it's difficult with Hammonds, Haas, and uh, Swanigan in there to get him into the post because of those other three guys um, and the space that they take up. But him at the four is, is a really a nightmare matchup for a lot of people. It allows us to play four guards. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to coach because of his versatility. Is there anything, um, especially from the new guys, that surprised you on this trip in terms of their play? Well, um, I thought Jaquiel Taylor really played hard. I think if you look at what he's been through, um, you know, with his health and uh, being out two of the three years being here, I thought he played hard. He had the most rebounds per minute on our team. I think he had the same amount of rebounds um, as the guy before him um, in less minutes. You know, I thought he really played hard and stayed within himself. You know, I think a lot of times when you get guys that haven't played or whatever – how they're going to be successful and it's something I've really preached with him in terms of keeping things simple play hard take your open shots um, get on the glass run be a good defender and that's how you're going to find minutes and I thought he really helped himself Um, I like what no gel brings us with his size and his ability to pass the basketball you know I think he learned a couple hard lessons there Um, he had a couple low minute games um, when he came in and turned it over or fouled and things of that but then he he learned from it and then he was better in the other games and I thought he you know he really competed in one of those in that last game against I think Lithuania or maybe Serbia I'm not sure which game it was but I thought he played really hard and uh, just learning to play hard all the time um, but I think he's going to give us a weapon I thought Sasha um, to his defense there at the end you know I'm going to shorten that rotation and um, he didn't get to play as much 
but I thought when he did get opportunities, he was really good. Um, knows how to play, knows what's going on. Um, he's got a level of toughness to him. He's going to be a really good player for us. Aaron Wheeler's a very talented kid, an athlete, you know, can shoot threes. Um, I think it, it's it's hard because now, along with him and Eden Ewing, you know, you, you and I told him all along, I, I'm not going to play a 12-man rotation, even mm-hmm. though if we get into a game, we're going to blow people out. Um, you are going to play. And then I, I tried to play some guys, like in that Argentina game, and do some different things, and it – um, it came back to hurt us, and it's just some of those mixes and those those combinations were tough. So, but all of those guys um, learn from things, and they learn from their experiences. And the downside to everything was Matt Harms couldn't play, and I think he's going to be a really good player for us. And he's gained twenty five pounds, and at seven three, can shoot on the perimeter, and he can run and um, rebound the basketball. And hopefully, he can protect the rim a little bit for us, also, since we really don't have that. Um, but no, they all got you know great experiences and. Um, it's very competitive, and the guy I would throw in there instead of new, who is not new for us, that maybe helped himself more than anybody. I said that about Shaquille, um, is Grady Eifert. I, I thought he was great. Right. Um, a lot of times when you deal with guys that are walk on, they have physical limitations at the Big Ten level. They just do. And if you traditionally go back and see walk on guys, they help you in practice. They run your scout stuff. They do different things. Grady's dad played here and started at Purdue. Grady's brother plays obviously for the Bengals, so physically Grady belongs, and uh, he understands our system, he knows what's going on, he can make an open shot, but he can, he gets the 50-50 balls, he gets the rebounds, he, you know, he can pass, you know, he just, he knows what, he's really put himself in a good position um, with us, and this experience really helped him, hopefully it gave him some confidence um, that he belongs because he does, and uh, I'm looking forward to the season for him because I know when we sub him in the game, you know, our energy level is going to go up, and uh, it's all about production. And, uh, you know, Grady's a productive player. I irritated his dad recently by saying he's better than you were. <laughs> That's a good place. Just, that probably <laughs> affected Grady's Christmas well, present. Well, keep the alumni happy. I just yeah. kept them right in there. Just, uh, But the uh, the other – I was going to bring that up. Uh, just a moment and you got to it was uh, Grady's play because he saw a lot of action and he was really good. The other guy that uh, really surprised me most was Ryan Klein on the ball. I, I, I thought with the ball he was yeah. a different player. Yeah, he was aggressive, he was, you know, looking to get to the basket, you know, got to his pull-up more, you know, got into triple threat a couple times and broke people down. And so, But, no, Ryan Klein can play. You know, I've always been a huge fan um, of Ryan. I think you'll have a great year for us. I think when I looked at our roster, I was telling somebody that this trip was so good for us. And at first you may think – the casual fan would—they know the four seniors. They, you know, you won the Big Ten. You're an older team, and it is true we are an older team from that standpoint. But we have all those young guys, right? So it's a—it's—it's it's a weird roster from the standpoint of you've got four seniors who have been here seemingly forever, won a lot of games, a lot of experience under their belt. But we bring in four new guys during the summer, and then with Jaquiel and Matt Harms, you add two new other guys that will see the floor this year, basically that didn't see the floor last year. So in essence, you have six new players right. that weren't on the floor last year. So it's a, it's a, why we are, why we are old and have experience. We also have a lot of, uh, of youth on the roster as well. So, and with that being said, like, I think the guys that, you know, help like carry your load that are so consistent, uh, PJ Thompson, Dakota Mathai, those guys are so good. And they, they just make things work. I'd always say that about Kramer and Rob Hummel for us and Juwan to a degree when he was younger. And then obviously Juwan just got so good. 
Um, they make it work. They, and and that, that sounds like a fan would sit back and say, what do you mean they make it work? So many people are worried about themselves. I've, I've played with great players. I've coached great players. But to have great teams, those guys make it work. They're selfless guys, and they can do more. That's what a lot of people don't understand. Like he talked about Ryan Klein doing that, and Ryan Klein's always been able to do that. You know, he's always, but, you know, when you play with A.J. Hammonds and you play with Caleb Swanigan and right. you play with those guys, Vince Edwards, and, you know, now when you look at our team, like, you know, P.J. Thompson's a really good point guard. And, and the one thing as a coach sometimes when you start to worry about things, you forget about the guys that do everything they're supposed to do. And you can't. You know, those guys, you know, you got to make sure they feel good about things. you got to make sure they understand that, you know, as a coach, you appreciate their value. And I think that's important That's because they get lost. Guys like Dakota and PJ get lost because they do everything they're supposed to, and they're about winning, and that's what it's about. You know, don't get me wrong, and you shouldn't get a reward for doing what you're supposed to all the time, but, you know, you definitely want to make sure as a coaching staff that, that those guys, you know, Hey, we appreciate you. We appreciate what you do. We appreciate how you handle things. But also, like you know, like Kramer, I thought everybody that watched Purdue basketball says, "Man, Chris Kramer needs to shoot." Well, he plays with three All Americans. You know, you know, someone shouldn't shoot. Right. You know, and so even though he could shoot, he couldn't he couldn't shoot to the level of those guys. And then Keaton Grant became a really good jump shooter, especially in clutch times. So you had him with them. And so you know, if you brought in Bird or Ryan Smith or whatever, we knew they could shoot. And so Chris made things work for us. You know, and they and then that selfless attitude that Rob had, he made things work for us. And and anytime you can have a chance, that's why when some people talk about our team or whatever. You know, it's, I always look at, you know, the, the, the Butler teams uh, with Todd Licklider and Brad Stevens, and I look at Bo Ryan and Greg Gard's team there. They always have some guys like that, and I've always tried to study other people, and uh, that's what we have to keep getting. We have to keep getting guys, you know, that are like that, that can really, really help us. And I think Sasha's that way. I think he's definitely going to be a guy that's going to really have a high value in our program, um, especially as time goes on. Larry, any parting shots? No, it was really, uh, you know, I was watching from the outside in, which is rare for me, but, um, you know, I stayed focused. I mean, I was getting up at 2 o'clock every morning and checking the scores. I had a hard time getting the streams, but I did watch the entire last game, and in fact, because I they didn't have a scoreboard on the picture, I had to actually take out a sheet and score the second half. I didn't know their names, but I had their numbers, so that's what I did, and uh, to my credit, I I had it right. I had the score right at the end, unfortunately. But uh, it it was it was fun watching the team and uh, a lot to be proud of. You know, it's only what the second team to medal since 2005, and uh, of the teams that are representing right. the United States. So that 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 was that was really impressive, and I think everybody feels <clears throat> that we have a we have a great chance to have a good team in a what should be an incredibly great Big Ten season this year. And I think too, the uh, in addition to the success we had on the court, we were we had a ton of compliments from the USA administrators over there of just the conduct of our players, and that was really good. Uh, we we kind of take that for granted, um, but it, they should be commended for how they handle themselves with just the, the fans, the public, other athletes. Their their conduct was uh, was really exemplary. So uh, it was an overall great trip for us, and then. Uh, September's been uh, more of a laid-back September, and before we know it, we're going to be practicing here on September 29th for real and, and back in the swing of things. So Yeah, it's a great time, and the playoffs, Major League playoffs will be starting close, and um, I think we've got to get the Cubs in the playoffs. And 
Yeah, I like. And it Cubs. starts over. I like a Cubs Indians. Oh, oh I love it. Now that would be. I like Ooh, a Cubs, I the Cubs Indians. Would take that uh, at this point. That yeah. would be really. And the Cubs, you like people don't realize the Indians have have had some people out. Obviously, Andrew Miller and. You know they've had injuries oh Michael too. Brantley yes uh, yeah they've had some good they've had three all stars yeah the well, other one is uh, Addison Kipnis yeah yes Jason Kipnis has been out and you know Addison Russell's been out you know for a month Wilson Contreras was probably playing better than anybody at the time he got out he had a hamstring and he's been out for a month Jake Arrieta just missed a, a rotation um, you know for for a start so they've had a lot of people out but they they have a pretty good team and they have some good young guys and everything but they're going to have to for them to be able to push you know obviously their pitching is going to have to be better because they've had games where they just they, well, they just some... they just killed the Mets in this series and just scored up they scored 39 runs in three games but then the game before the Brewers swept them at home and they couldn't score so in those games you know you're going to have to be able to get some pitching and you wonder why I just dove into this but I know it's not my pipe podcast but we just can't talk about the Indians the whole time. We gotta be able to talk about the Cubs some. And well, I'm, and I, I'd like to have a repeat of Cubs Indians, but like you know, I bet you would. There's the Yankees, there's the uh, uh, Red Sox, and there are the Astros in the Astros Ameri- in the American great. League. They've been great. And in the National League, you got the Nationals. The Dodgers are going to turn this thing around. That's and the it, interesting thing with the Dodgers. Oh, how that's much amazing. They've lost. That's amazing. That's amazing. Just how, show, how, that's you can be, how you can be that's 50 baseball. games over 500 and then lose 14 out of 15 games. That's baseball. That, that's that's why you keep coming back. Well, we're, we don't have a Final Four questions on this, but one of our Final Four questions is always a book you're reading, and I know that you have just yeah. uh, finished Joe Madden's book. Right, A Cubs Way. Great book. I just got yesterday in the mail. My cousin sent it to me. Um, David Ross has a book called Teammate, so I just got that in the mail. So that's what, that's my next book um, that I'm that I'm going to read. You're spending too much time on the Cubs. All right, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> but when you look like Joe Madden, to me, I'm intrigued by him, and he's done it his own way. And I, I think a lot of times when you get back to that, and I've talked about that going out into the coaching business, and um, you got to be yourself. And that more and more as I go on, it's you know you you have to be yourself, and as long as you're authentic. I think you really help your players. You help your players understand, and they can be themselves too within a team concept. And uh, he's done a masterful job of that. Theo Epstein's obviously a very good general manager, and uh, they've just done an unbelievable job in their organization. So anytime people win, you know what you know what do you do? You know, it's just like if you coach in the NFL and you get knocked out of the playoffs in the first round, you start up a couple days later and you study the people that are winning. In the NFL, that's what you do. And like I talked about Butler in Wisconsin, and like a normal fan kind of frowns at that. Why frown at it? You know, it's you know learn from other people and learn from other programs and, and get better and and improve your own program. And that's what you're thinking, isn't it, Elliot, about the Colts right now? All right, everybody. Oh, I'm sorry. I was on a beach in Maui in my mind right now. I'm, <laughs> I, I don't even remember what you just said. Okay, well, that'll do it for episode 23 of the podcast. I want to thank everybody for listening, and until next time, be curious, be informed, and be well.